0: Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everybody, welcome to ODI Friday's Lunchtime Lecture. I'm Josh and our guest today here is Johnny Henshaw from Map Action. Uh, Map Action is a UK-based charity that provides expert mapping and information management support in the wake of emergencies all over the world. Consisting mostly of volunteers, Map Action aims to be on the ground within 48 hours, gathering information and making maps to ensure the right help gets to the most vulnerable people. Johnny is a Map Action volunteer currently training to become a deployable member of the team. As with the majority of Map Action's volunteers, Johnny's background is in geographic information systems, also known as GIS. Johnny also works in the digital team at the British Red Cross, is an active member of the London Missing Maps community, and has been uh, recently mapping areas in Nepal affected by flooding. Uh, Could you please uh, have your questions at the end of the session as uh, we'll be passing the mic around, and if you are Following on Twitter, can you please use the hashtag ODI Fridays? Thank you. Cool.
1: Thanks, Josh. Um, so I was going to start by introducing Map Action, but Josh has done that very well already. Um, so just to get an idea of in the room, has anybody heard of Map Action before? OK, about half. Um, does everybody know what GIS is? Yeah. Oh, nods all round. OK, a uh, couple of hands up. Um, uh, who works for the Red Cross? Almost half the room, Thank, <laughs> thanks for coming. Uh, <laughs> humanitarian sector, that's not Red Cross, anyone? No, okay, cool. And uh, know what others are, oh, missing maps? Uh, okay, there's some over there I think as well. Not many missing maps. Okay, so we'll cover all that in the uh, presentation. Um, I wasn't sure how best to introduce map action, but I thought, in the end, just to demonstrate one of our recent responses um, as an example of what we would do. So I'll crack straight into it. Uh, This is the Indonesian earthquake and tsunami that happened uh, at the end of September this year on the 28th, I think. Uh, So this is the devastating scenes after it occurred, uh, and we responded to this. So give you some context about what actually happened in case uh, you're not aware. So this is an island called Sulawesi in Indonesia, just here, uh, and a earthquake magnitude 7.5 struck just inland. Um, strong shaking in these areas, uh, but largely rural. This then triggered a tsunami, though, that came up here and was naturally funneled up this Palu Bay right up and hit Palu at the end, which is a city of over 300,000 people. So this was the area most affected in the end. Um, So some of the numbers are 2,000 people were killed, 1,500 are still missing. Um, 70,000 buildings were destroyed. Um, Yeah, so a catastrophic event that happened in Indonesia. So... This is how MapAction would normally respond in an event. So something happens. This is an example of a sudden onset event, so a natural disaster. Um, the event happens. We'll be working with our partners, people in head office, will we, um, to decide whether we're going to deploy and send out volunteers to the area. So if the decision is made, a global alert message is sent out. So literally every volunteer will receive a text message and an email saying, can you fill in your availability on this Google Sheet? And every, this sheet just buzzes with activity then of everybody saying whether they're available or that they're checking with employers that they're able to go or that you're not able to go. Uh, at the same time, the data scramble begins. So a lot, of these, a lot of these things happen in developing countries where, you know, they're not so lucky to have the ordnance survey or clear sources of data. So and they're all spread all over the place. So the data scramble, the volunteers based here will go and gather the data from sources that we already know so that's things like admin boundaries population distribution whatever we can get hold of and this is all put in a file on the uh, on our computers that can then literally be taken out to the field with us Um, so after the availability has been given the head office will select who's going and call for rapid move Uh, and within 24 hours to 48 hours we aim to be met at the airport with all the operational cool kit. So we go with everything, we have laptops, printers, everything, network uh, equipment, everything that we might need. And we're on the plane already working with this data that we've got from the data scramble as we're uh, heading out to the field. Uh, so we aim to be there rapidly and then working under pressure with our partners. So we normally deploy uh, with another partner, it's often the United Nations, or in this instance was the AHA Center, which is the ASEAN Coordination Center for Humanitarian Assistance. Okay. <laughs> ASEAN is another acronym as well, but maybe you can Google that one. Um, <laughs> so in this instance, we deployed, this is the AHA Center, we deployed to their coordination center in Jakarta. So there's an amazing, uh, you know, screen of a wall of screens um, with information about the uh, response. It looks quite empty here. This was actually a couple of weeks after we arrived, and I think it was a weekend or very late at night. So you've just got the, uh, the loan map action volunteer at their laptop uh, plugging away at the, uh, at the data. Um, so we started there in this instance, uh, but then quickly one of the volunteers went out to the field. So we had a split operation, somebody at the operations centre and somebody out in the field working in this tent with all the other uh, organisations there. So, as Map Action, our main thing is to get maps out. Um, We stick them on the wall, we want as many people to see them as possible. We'll work closely with the partners who we've deployed with, but also these maps are free for anyone to use. So, we want them to be visible. We often start with a reference map, so we have online, a, a catalogue of all the products that we make. Um, this always starts with the same maps, just a reference, you know, so people can draw in it. You know, it's nice to have a printed map. It's pretty old school nowadays, but to have the printed map that you can take out, you can annotate it. Um, and a lot of our products then build up from this basic map to start with. Also, some places don't have these maps available um, before the disaster. So, um, What was I just going to say? Uh, so that was the traditional paper map. But we also, in this instance, did some online maps, which is what our uh, our partner requested from us. So they, um, the AHA uh, response team, they went out and were taking photos of all of the, uh, of the damage around there. And they just sent it back and just said, this would be great to be able to see on an interactive online map, just so we can see what is happening where. And this can be shared for anybody who's not in the location. Uh, This may be dangerous, but okay. So this is an interactive map. You can click around and see which images were taken where. Uh, The people in the field are gathering requirements around what maps we want, but we also have a support base back in the UK. Uh, So a volunteer will be their first point of contact for a 24-hour stint. So I think this was an example where the pictures were sent back to be uh, loaded up to the web map and then this can be shared with everyone um so i mean see you may have seen this on the news this is the big bridge that crossed the bay and just shocking damage there the whole bridge came down um we will come back to that um another example of a web map so this is this took quite a point, uh, quite a while to get to this point because this is existing satellite data that we had, satellite imagery that we had of the area. And after the event, there's a big rush to try and get post-disaster imagery so that you can do a comparison and see which areas have been affected. As soon as we had that, we were able to upload it to this web map and create a before and after. Um, so again, I'll go here. So this is fully interactive you can click around and just pull the slider to see what's happened and it really does visually demonstrate the devastation there of this uh i can't do it and point at the same time but you can see the shape of the coastline has totally changed uh debris has come inland and the whole bridge there has come down so uh shocking damage but this is a great product to be able to demonstrate that for, for everybody and people who aren't there as well. After. Um, so after we've got the basic uh, paper maps, and in this case, some online maps that were good to get an overview of the situation, we then think about right what information might be good to coordinate the uh, response. Um, I've kind of touched on, but maybe not explicitly said, that Map Action, we're not responding, we're not doing, we're helping Uh, NGOs and organisations there do their job better. So really identify where the need is um, so that they can target aid to the people who need it most. So we're proactively trying to think what products would be good to help them do their job better. Um, This is one that came out, this is from some Copernicus um, satellite imagery that was able to actually say how many buildings had been damaged. Forgive this has been cut apart to fit on a widescreen monitor as well, so this might not make entire sense. But the, uh, the the original is online, so please download. Um, so we've got the overview map here. The epicenter is around here, and this is Palu um, that was hit by the tsunami. Um, so C I've I've cut off, um, but A here. So the hexagons are to aggregate how many. Buildings have been affected in each hexagon. If you did it at an individual level, it's hard to see uh, areas of concentration of damage. So we've kind of aggregated it up. So the darker hexagons show which areas have been most affected. And as you might expect, you can see the tsunami has come down the bay uh, with serious damage down in some areas. And then as it's got here, it's concentrated up. I think it was a six-meter wave in the end and in the most densely populated area in Palu. So, as you might expect, these are the darker areas here. Um, What's interesting about this one we haven't touched on yet is there's also some areas here which seem very disconnected from the rest of it, where you might expect, and this is inset B here, so this is even further south. More areas, pockets of areas, this one I think actually being the worst one, uh, away from where you might expect it. Um, I'm reporting back to you. I haven't actually said that. I wasn't on this deployment, um, but we had a training last weekend, and the people who were there reported back what had happened. And I was amazed but also terrified to hear about liquefaction. Does anybody know what liquefaction is? Okay, not many. I was one of them until uh, this Sunday. So this is liquefaction. It's basically the soil has moisture in it, And when it shakes, it almost turns to liquid and starts to flow. So this is just a quick... This was before, and it will then merge into the after image of what happens during this process. Yeah. So this is inland, and... I don't know if we can play it again and I'll annotate. But what's just, you, you expect the damage um, for areas hit by earthquake, but here where there were buildings, it's just baffling that now suddenly there's nothing, not even debris there. It just looks like a, a mud flat. Um, Is so, an Sorry. I'm just... This one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, so um, sorry, yeah, so the question was, is that an irrigation channel? I'm not totally sure, um, and I'm not the best person to explain exactly what liquefaction is, but it is just the makeup of the soil. And I've painted this in the picture that we didn't know about it's not that we didn't know these areas had been affected until we produced this map. They would have they're aware of the soil makeup and which areas might have been at risk, but for me, I had no idea that it could do damage like this. Um, And and this illustrates it again. So this is somebody from the response team that we were with. This is one of the photos on that first map that I showed you. Um, He's gone out to take pictures of the area, and this is the area that was hit. This was buildings, and now it just looks like a marshland. Uh, Terrifying. Um, So one more example of the map from this. We've got the paper maps, the online maps, where people are affected, and then it becomes on to how we coordinate the, the response. So this is just one that shows the camps of where internally displaced uh, people have gone and where the water points are. So this may, might help to uh, coordinate getting water to the people that need it. Uh, a word on sharing. So everything we produce by standard is, is shared openly. Um, this is a key task of our support base, so the maps are sent back to the UK and we upload them to our maps and data repository here for anybody to download for, for whatever use they might have. Um, this is built on something called CCAN. Does anybody know CCAN? Oh, a couple of nods, yeah, in the Open Data Institute. Um, so you could probably explain it better than me, but it's an open source um, data sharing platform. More nods? Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> which basically, when we upload it to here to our website, it automatically shares it with Relief Web, which is another website that shares um, information following a humanitarian response, and where the data is suitable. Also shares it with the humanitarian data exchange. Does anybody know HDX? Not many. Okay, so this is um, a really cool way of... I mean, sharing data is crucial, but difficult in times of uh, disaster response. So this... Um, we automatically, we, our default is to be open and share. Um, right, so that was an example of disaster response. That's what the charity was built on. We've responded to 80, uh, over 80 since we were founded in 2002. Um, but alongside that, we also offer training. So um, this is training for our partners and we run a humanitarian mapping course at our headquarters in Buckinghamshire. And also preparedness. So, rather than just responding to the event after it's happened, this is to try and build <coughs> capacity and and be prepared for when it might happen in vulnerable areas. Um, this picture is from a mapathon that we held in Nepal, and I was lucky enough to go along to it and help out. Um, does any so missing maps was not good? Does everybody know OpenStreetMap? Okay, I think that's a Resounding yes. Um, so we went there and held this mapathon to map um, to map areas prone to flooding in southeastern Nepal. We had we worked with the local community and these guys from Kathmandu Living Labs. Great. So it's really cool to work with the locals. And we held this mapathon and managed to map 25,000 buildings in a day there, which was fantastic. Um, and now the data is ready for areas that are prone to flooding every year. So hopefully this will help in the next response already. Um, Here's the obligatory uh, official photo that we had to take. Um, Stunning grounds at this place called Isimod in Kathmandu. Uh, And here's a kind of bro pic uh, (laughs) with uh, Dean, another volunteer who I went with. Uh, yeah, so, and that is with the, uh, we were working with WFP, the World Food Programme there. So, really cool trip. Um, touched on it, I can't do a talk about uh, humanitarian mapping and not mention missing maps. Uh, so, missing maps, putting the world's vulnerable people on the map. Uh, open street map is awesome, and there's some very active people here, I know for sure. Um, but one trouble with it was that Developed areas have the better map often because there's the culture to map your local area. So Missing Maps is trying to, is taking note of that and trying to map areas that won't be mapped. Um, Really utilising this volunteer, um, huge volunteer um, group that wants to contribute to these things. Um, uh, Yeah, monthly, first Tuesday of every month, come along, and somebody will do a much better job than I have of explaining it to you. But it's really cool. <laughs> um, so Map Action is it's about the team. So we, are 80, these, we have 80 volunteers and just a small staff team in Buckinghamshire grinding away to, to make everything happen. Um, but it's a great community, a great team, and we meet monthly for our, uh, for our training exercises. Um, this is one. Uh, so every monthly we have a training exercise. Uh, this could be learning new skills like GIS or communications, how to deal with the media. Uh, but this is our annual simulation. So we'll actually run a response to an earthquake or a fictional, um, a fictional disaster. And it's a way of training volunteers and testing our procedures and is quite hard work, but quite good fun at the same time. Um, so this is us all just hunched over laptops, this is normally the normal way, and quite often intense. Is uh, yeah, map Action's about being intense. Um, so yeah, this was this year's one. Uh, this is how I would sell a map action <laughs> training course in the Lake District. Beautiful, you know. If you're going to go camping, what better place? Uh, Most of the time we're inside, but on that short bit that you're outside, it's fantastic. But we do also have to do this, which is not what I would choose to go camping in, to be totally honest. And this is my uh, £20 tent and equally priced sleeping bag that has uh, since been upgraded. Um, But nothing a few beers won't help you get to sleep. Um, And that's it. So that's a whistle stop tour. I forgot to say at the beginning that it's awesome to be talking here. Um, uh, I actually my first bit of humanitarian mapping, which was a mapathon before um, before Missing Maps had even started, uh, was after Typhoon Haiyan response. Uh, that was five years ago now, and it was in this room that I first came with my friend Mike here and met Andrew at the back. Uh, So, that has now gone full circle, I've now been working at the Red Cross for two and a half years as a web analyst and now full circle back here to talk to you, which I didn't think would be happening, but,
0: here we go, any questions? Okay, so we'll be taking questions now. Uh, I'm mic'd up, as is Johnny, but you guys aren't, so if you can speak into the microphone so that people on Twitter and elsewhere in the web can hear your questions i will uh, I'll, I'll start with mine then if uh if that's all right um i know you you've so you've gone out to Nepal and you haven't done a, you know tons and tons of the field work, but what would you say is like one of the biggest like challenges that map action faces when they're on call on site overseas um I think yeah thanks
1: for <laughs> I can't speak out of experience yet, only from these training exercises which they try to make i've heard uh. Harder even than it can be. Well, actually, I'm I'm going to take that back. Any Map Action volunteer will probably not agree with me for that. But um, I think it's the amount of requests you come in and that that come into you. People see the map and they want a version of that or they want this additional thing added and it's trying to prioritise what's actually needed and what can really help rather than... So with such an influx of requests, the hardest thing is... I think trying to pick what matters and what will actually help those in need, I think. Cheers. Question over
0: here. Oh. Oh, yeah.
2: Thanks, Thanks a lot. that was great. Um,
1: th- in terms of um, scale, what kind of uh, scale can you, uh, in terms of numbers of maps, types of features, number of you know, buildings you can, you can record on a map? could you can you do when there's a, response, a particular humanitarian situation um so number of maps i mean we can actually have a look here so this is this response this is our maps and and data repository so we've got 51 data sets here uh this is a mixture of maps and well it's mostly maps there and then this is the data set and that's has been shared with uh HDX and the online ones um This was from two teams of two volunteers going out for two-week stints. Um, So this is four weeks' work, effectively, with um, two people at a time. Uh, In terms of the buildings mapped, we would not normally be mapping the buildings. That would usually be um, the Humanitarian Open Street Map Team, or HOT. They'll be working alongside... Well, I say alongside us. They'll be also looking at what areas need to be mapped, and they'll be tasking that through... I'm really crossing over the vibes here. Uh, So this is Hot and this is the Tasking Manager. So this is basically what Missing Maps works off. And so Map Action, we're a member. Uh, The British Red Cross is one of the founders as well. Um, If we see a need for somewhere that we need the buildings mapped or the roads or something, we can raise our own um, task in here. which then we basically say this area should be mapped and then volunteers can go in and select the squares and map that area. So in terms of how many buildings can be mapped, I mean, it's, it's massive. It, for the big responses, the Haiti and Haiyan, I don't know if anybody has an idea of numbers, but huge yeah, huge potential. I mean, it, it, it mobilises a global
0: volunteer base if it's done through heart
2: have a few more questions, but if there's others. Um, So you kind of touched on this possibly, but now that HOT's got the tasking manager, but there's lots of organisations like MapAction and Red Cross from the various countries and HOT itself, does it get tricky to kind of manage that and make sure you're not like asking the same things of all the volunteers? Um,
1: So, yeah, that's precisely what the tasking manager does is to try and split that up. Uh, and prevent people doing the same thing. Um, There's a huge, I mean, missing maps and HOT is as much about the community and the collaboration as the tool itself. There's Slack channels discussing what areas need to be mapped. And this discussion is happening across organizationally to map the areas most in need. Um, Quite often with like a sudden onset, HOT I think will take charge on which areas need to be mapped. I'm looking for a... He's ignoring me. Um, yeah, so they will be, you know, and for example, like a, a tropical storm, where you can see that the storm's coming in, they'll they'll proactively be uh, preempting what areas might need to be mapped and that. But It's a very collaborative approach.
2: Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Um, I have a question about the um, procedures and the tasks that you do over and over every time you have to respond. Mm -hmm. I'm sure calculating the hexagons, for instance, for the buildings is something that you do repeatedly. Do you have an open repository of code as well as maps and data that you reuse and share with the community every time you have to map something?
1: Good question. Um, So we have a GitHub. Um, and it goes on there. I'm not, we have, so the team is split into different circles. So you have the GIS circle, the, it's basically working groups, um, and we have the software development group who are constantly trying to improve our processes. Um, our monthly training, sometimes they're development days, it's just a single day where the, the working groups will come together and, and try and improve our processes, and then we'll test them in these um, simulations as well. Uh, I understand. They tried to share it. We tried to share as much as possible in the GitHub.
3: So. I
0: have another one. This is a bit less technical, but mm-hmm. um, is there any sort of response that you guys have for having to map someplace that might be considered politically or socially quite um, you know, like protected or controversial or sensitive or anything like that?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. So. Um, I mean, it's all done by head office. So before anything happens, they will be doing a review of the situation in the country, whether it's safe for us to deploy, if there's any sensitivities, things like that. And um, all of this information will be given up front to the volunteers. Um, I think it's no light move for them to decide to deploy, for one. So there will be a lot of uh, research behind deciding whether that's the right thing to do. Uh, And then all this information is given to the volunteers that would be deploying. So they know what, what they can expect. Uh, assuming that we are deploying them, then we go with as much information as possible. So, you know, everything from political sensitivities, anything that you might need to be aware of while you're there. Um, we also have, uh, it, I think more traditionally, was the rapid onset, so your, your natural disasters, but increasingly now it's, it's conflict and population movement due to conflict. Uh, which has its own issues, obviously. Um, but I've, the key thing is as much information as possible from from head office for us to go with. Nothing from Andrew. You want
2: stuff? Huh? <laughs>
1: that is the first time I've not heard a question from you. So missing maps has changed. And you can get disaster
2: areas mapped. And conflict is still a big challenge in terms of getting information in and out. And things like CCAN and OpenStreetMap make it far more
1: um, effective in terms of collaboration and not not duplicating things.
2: What next? What's missing going forward um, that we've sort of improved in the past?
1: I regret asking you questions. (laughs) Do you want to answer your own? (laughs) It's your show. (laughs) God. <laughs>
2: um, sorry,
1: for, for context, uh, we're meeting MapAction next week. They're coming to our office, sorry. Uh, and we've got an agenda of exactly this. How do Red Cross MSF MapAction do this better in future? So that's the context. I think that's the answer as well, right? It is how we work better together. But there's so many different organizations going to do the same or very similar things uh, you know, you might get a data set and you process the data set and you use it for a map, but somebody else, you might have 10 more people doing exactly the same thing. So to really encourage sharing of data and knowledge and collaboration, um, that's the, the, the dream, I
0: guess. Hi, thank you very much for the talk. Um, I was wondering, uh, at the data scrapping stage, um, you must have found out some sort of government responses or government data sets. Are there any stages where you would work with the government agency at that point um, in your responses in the local field or in field actions?
1: Yeah, so we frequently work with the government agency. Um, Any information that's available, if if we're okay to use it, we will do that. So we may go and speak to the local um, mapping agency and just, I mean, it's... Again, I can only speak from a uh, um, from one of the simulations, but we were shipped off to the mapping agency and given some fire water, which is water in Tabasco, uh, to welcome us to the mapping agency. <laughs> and basically, it's just you know, encourage, trying to get as much data from them as possible uh, so that we can give back. Right. So the government essentially is they're responsible for the response in their area. And they may call on NGOs to come and help them with this response. So if they can give us data to use, we want to we improve the response effort. don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> Sorry.
4: Thank you very much. A related question. Um, just going back to what you said about the, the stuff you do in terms of training and preparedness, which I think is really important. Because um, there's a lot of focus on response, you know, which is, which is also important. But yeah. um, do you kind of continue to liaise with the local stakeholders and the governments to maybe incorporate the maps you have created back into their data sets? So like on the country geo nodes or other things like
1: that? Uh, interesting question. So this is largely through partnerships. So... The United Nations were our main partners before, but we're now working with the AHA Centre, who are basically a—they're a regional disaster response. Um, but and then we have CDEMA, who are the Caribbean equivalent. So it, it's the collection of the countries there. And this isn't just a "we need your help" come to um, respond to this. It's an ongoing partnership. We have a, mem- a MOU with them, so it's it is trying to make move away from the response in-out and and building capacity for them as well, leaving them with the data, going in and not just producing a product, but maybe a workflow of how they can it, continue to gather the data. And, and I mean, that's the key. Data is always the key thing. The map is the final product, but having clean data that you can use is the hardest thing, which is probably I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, working with them for workflows so that their data is better in the future. Yeah, it's, it's definitely moving more towards that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Um,
3: do you have any sensitivities around the data that you're collecting? Do you have to be wary of what you're collecting and how you can share it?
1: Yeah. So, if somebody gives us some data, the question will be, can we share it? Um, we want that to be the case. So. That's what we want. We will, By default, we want to be able to share it. I've been told, you know, there may be instances where we get information that we can't share for whatever reason. So this will be noted down when we collect the data. And then we may produce this product just for that person to use and not share the data that they have. But So it does happen, but our default is to be open. Right. Thanks. Hey. Um, <coughs> so... MapAction has a certain amount of volunteers and uh, if it had 100 times as many
2: volunteers, would that
1: be great? Or is is, is that not the limiting factor? Uh, That's (laughs) a very good question. Um, So the strategy is being formed at the moment as well, which is going to be launching next year and aims to answer questions like that, I think. Um, One thing with MapAction is, so all the volunteers are... as skilled volunteers, they, we have five years' experience working in GIS. Um, a, a, a massive benefit of that is that you bring in everybody's experience from their daily jobs. So we have people working at the Met Office and, and you know, all, all over that bring in, bring in their experience from that role, which you wouldn't get if, it was a, if everybody was working full-time for MapAction. You bring in this wealth. Um, in terms of the limiting factor... Uh, I might say, wait for the strategy next year. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's UK-based charity as well at the moment, so there could also be a question of whether we spread globally. But I think, yes, I talked enough for it to come to me. A, a, um, <laughs> a, a unique thing about Map Action is the team and the, the almost like family vibes there. You, you know, there's 80 people, but you meet monthly for a weekend and you, you work together you might have a beer together and so when you deploy you already know you you have at least met the person that you deploy with so if you then times that by 100 you're going to you know it doesn't have the same connection same vibe as working with people so that's that would be something that would have to be considered if it was going to if going to be more volunteers
2: second one yeah uh, but given that the team is all experienced in gis but they come from different areas different industries do you guys have internal fights about what gis tools to use <laughs> or like or do you have some certain gis oh, tools that you must always have been use? to one
1: of our training courses. <laughs> yeah it's um yeah <laughs> oh dear um the training course is just map nerds basically a, a collection of map nerds all arguing about the best way to do it you know, there's two key softwares that you usually you have. Uh, ArcGIS is the commercial proprietary software, and then QGIS, which is the open source alternative. Even that is an argument over what's best to use. Yes, it's it's ongoing. Um, it's, it's great because there's just so much experience there. And if you have a if you have a GIS question, you can just send it out to the team, and you've got 80 people that you can ask. Uh, Experienced people to ask that we'll be able to answer, but yeah, if there's a conflict of uh, opinions it frequently happens um, Also, yeah, I think at our last one we had a, uh, a Pub quiz I would have to say in inverted commas because one of the map one of the rounds was projection systems <laughs> uh, The others like I can't remember but like serious map geek uh, <laughs> a group of people, it's brilliant. <laughs> There's not many places that you can go and have a massive conversation about map projections. Um.
3: So, what, so what level
4: of experience
1: do you look for, for people to join? Um, so it's, we, we have a annual um, volunteer application process, it'll have it all put in there, but I think it's at least three to five years experience Commercial experience working with GIS. Um, most people have come from an education of it as well. Uh, there's also the softer skills like have you traveled a lot before? Um, do you mind camping in the snow? <laughs> um, yeah, so just, just try and work out. It's not for everyone. So, yeah, there's the softer skills combined with the more, more technical GIS. So
2: this is more some comments going back on the previous questions that um I think the missing maps groups are really good at um communicating with the local whether that's a local mapping agency or the groups so um and I think on Andrew's question about what's next what needs to be improved I think that and I don't know the uh how much goes on afterwards as well but at least telling us about it. So, in 2010, after the Haiti earthquake happened, there was OpenStreetMap pot response, but they went in and trained up the um, the locals to own their own map. And with Kathmandu in Nepal, there was actually Kathmandu Living Labs were yeah. using OpenStreetMap and creating it, and said, "Hold on, you worldwide volunteers, we've kind of got most of this," mm-hmm. um, which was great. Um, I also want to in your talk you talked about developed countries have maps and that's fine we don't have open maps yeah so google maps yeah but they're not going to release their data yeah. and we need it for the same reasons as map action works abroad and even in open street map in the uk it's not brilliant in every part of the uk so um mm-hmm. this is i say to people go to a missing maps event because to volunteer for map action, you need to be, have GIS experience. Yeah. For missing maps, to help these guys and help them with the data, you need to be able to turn on a laptop. Um, <laughs> you will be taught, <laughs> and it's great. And that teaches you how to map in the UK as well.
0: Well said, thanks. <laughs> I think I found my level of capability for volunteering. <laughs> yeah. <sounds> good. <laughs> I have more of there.
3: Um, I'm just going to ask a question about the liquefaction process, yeah. which is quite shocking to yeah. see. Really, um, I'm just wondering how you capture that. Is is that happening over a longer time period? And so you're, as you're going in to capture data about that area, you're then having to keep going back and back and then up dating your data all the time. And do you do that in real time, or do you have to keep? I mean, how does, how does, how would that work? Just that particular instance. So
1: as far as the, I've not the best person to uh, explain the whole uh, geophysics of it, but um, as far as I'm aware, it just happens while the earthquake is happening, oh, okay. so it's actually quite quick. Yeah. Sorry,
0: no. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. So, so basically, but I mean, your your time lapse was really interesting. Yeah. So you're clearly you're capturing the the sa- the satellite. Imagery, I assume. So
1: I, I'm pretty sure um, yeah. it's by Digital Globe, so we yeah. can check, but I think it's just a before and after, and they've merged and the they've image just, just to yeah, show the flow. Okay, so
4: they've done that. Okay, that makes more sense. So, yeah. yeah, so basically, you need a high water table, and I think that is an irrigation channel. So if you could see that the land uh. uphill or next to it was quite dry, and maybe they're doing farming, and so that all that land was saturated, and certain types of soils that have often sandier, loose. Uh, younger soils can be subjected to that. Um, but, yeah, if you're interested, I can tell you more. later.
2: I can fill <please, laughs> <laughs> <laughs> in a bit of response on the as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, so um, it does happen that, like, that needs to change. I know one guy who has mapped loads of his local area in Japan Um, and then the um, tsunami happened um, in Fukushima and it was quite devastating and he's spoken quite emotionally. I didn't realise at first it took him a... So there was response and mapping around the power plant and that area, but other places, the coastline had moved by three metres, whole kind of, like, villages had been flooded and their roads gone um, or submerged, and it took him... A year to actually, it needed on the ground surveying a bit to get the GPS location correct and, and seeing what states it in. But it took him a year to emotionally overcome that, um, to then go out volunteer mapping. So sometimes it's, I mean, you go got to update it, but uh, sometimes this takes a while just for emotions. Okay, well, if there is uh, no other
0: questions... Last thing to do is to thank you again, Johnny, for coming out. All right. And uh, thank you, thank you for the lovely presentation. We get another, another round of applause for Johnny.
2: You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime
0: lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institutes.